So before we, we start this topic, I want to just give a couple of disclaimers. I want to be completely honest. The first disclaimer is that I have no idea what the answer is. <laughs> when, when, I, when I, well, at least for, well, at least for one of the potential outcomes over here, um, or at least one of the potential circumstances. And I think that one of the very illuminating aspects of this particular story is the incredible sensitivity on the initial conditions that all of these Kashras questions have. As we're going to see, it's these tiny little details that really could either take the question either way. And when I was, I called my uh, brother today to talk to talk over with him my answer for this question, and he's like, "I read this story, and I like cannot believe how much complexity there is in this question." And it doesn't come across like that from the story. And that's kind of one of the hidden dangers in Kashras is that very often things sound extremely innocuous and then, or extremely uh, straightforward, and then there's tiny little quirks, as we're going to see, that throws everything into, into, um, into disarray. So, fact, so Rabbi? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, so why is it not obvious that they're not kosher? I mean... Okay, so I'm going to get yeah. to that. that. That's a very good question. The first, the first order topic is why should they be okay? Then we're going to say that we're going to make it very obvious that they should not be okay. And then we're going to introduce a third order possibility that they could be, that they could be okay. <laughs> and that's going to be, and then at the end, we're just going to say, we don't know. And that's going to be the end of the story. Uh, I just want to make one more disclaimer. My uh, brother-in-law, who's a rabbi in, in, in Palata, he is also a cook like I am. And he, you know, who's very into cooking. And he got a little bit annoyed at me that I used the word age when she just left the steaks in the fridge overnight. And his point was, and this is valid, that aging usually implies something that's for much longer and happens to be from a halakhic perspective. Aging does have certain interesting circumstances, certain interesting differences is because when you, when you age something for a while, you scrape off the outer layer. So it could make a distinction. It won't for our case. And I just spent a 24-hour thing, which I told him, according to the commentaries I saw on YouTube, they also call it aging, even if it's for one day. So <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So we'll start with, I think, Lily's, Lily's question, right? Why, why should it be okay? So the reason why it should be okay before we get with the sources is that there is a principle that when you have three or four or five things mixed together, let's say you have two pieces of meat and one piece of non-kosher meat falls in and they get mixed up, we say that it becomes nullified in the majority. And as long as they're not being eaten by one person, or according to many opinions, even if they're all being eaten by one person, as long as they're not being eaten in one shot, they are permissible to eat. That is the process of bottle berov. It's nullified a majority. Wait, I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? Sure. So if you have, the, so the, 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 the uh, canonical example is you have two pieces of kosher meat and one piece of non-kosher meat gets mixed up with them and you can't tell which is which, right? So the halacha is, is that you are allowed to eat all three pieces of meat now, even though you are definitely going to eat one that's non-kosher. Now there's a debate about, are you allowed to eat them all in one shot? Do you have to eat them one after the other? Other people are stringent that they should not all be eaten by one person. But why? So why, now why, why is, is that, that okay? So uh -huh. that's a very, the reason is, is because there's a biblical source for this. And this is the principle of rove. Now, 
I don't want to get too far into it, but I will get far enough into it right now because it's important for us to understand the next step. The reason behind it is as follows, is that it's important to understand that the kosher status of something is not an inherent attribute, but a feature of its identity. What do I mean by that? You can have, let's, let's think about two examples. The first is you have lettuce. Then you chop, you have lettuce, you have carrots, you have tomatoes, and you have cucumbers. Then you chop them up, you mix them all together in a way that they become reasonably uh, homogenous, right? We call it now a salad. Now, there is a principle when it comes to judges or other places that when you want to establish the identity of a thing, you establish it by the majority of it. So when you have a mixture, this mixture now requires an identity. So we give it the identity of the majority of the elements in the thing. And therefore, if the majority, and this is, this, is, this is not something which we could derive based on our own logic, obviously. This is something which there is a biblical source for it. It comes from originally kind of very early from the laws of the court. The reason why a court is allowed to follow majority opinion, right? The Torah says that you can follow majority opinion, but there's a problem because the law is, is that the entire court has to convict or the court has to uh, acquit. So, so, so they uh, uh, derive from there that a majority, once there's a majority of the court, it constitutes the authority of the entire court. And there's other sources like this. There's a bunch, it's a long topic in the beginning of Chulun, where they derive uh, two types of majority. One is a statistical majority, where meaning to say that, you know, majority of cows in the world are not trephos, meaning they don't have punctured lungs. Now, this means that even if you kill out all the cows in the world, except for one, so there is still a statistical majority that this cow, right, if you go with a, you know, whatever approach and probability, I know that your husband's very passionate about this, um, but whichever approach, right? So you'll assume that, that, it's, that the likelihood is that this cow is not a trefa. That's one type. And it has specific features, this type of majority. There's another type of majority, that one that is, I would almost say frequentist as opposed to degree of belief, where you have nine stores selling kosher meat, one store selling non-kosher meat, and you find a piece of non-kosher meat outside that shopping plaza. So you have nine reasons to say kosher, one reason to say non-kosher. It has nothing to do with the probability. It doesn't have to do with how many times if you find a piece of meat there. Sorry, this is absolutely, so it has to do with simply the fact there are nine reasons to say kosher, one reason uh, to say non-kosher, and therefore we say kosher. And these things, they sound like very kind of, um, kind of strange differences, but when you get into that topic, these actually make tremendous amount of differences in various areas, what type you're referring to. But for our case, so in the fridge, there were a bunch of steaks. Only one of them was there any question about. So therefore, the mother is taking them out. She plans on grilling them and serving them to, to more than one person. So therefore, technically speaking, first order uh, psak should be bitl berov, it's nullified a majority, and therefore it should be okay. So That's, when you say that it, the identity is not of the thing itself, but rather its features, are you implying that kashrut is epistemological? To some extent, it is. 
And this, and I don't think it's restricted to kashras. I have this kind of, this idea that I've been developing for a while. And I, a lot of Judaism believes in the notion of things are by observation or by knowledge. And I'll give you an example. This is 100% codified. It's not a question. If let's say, right, we'll go back to our case of, of this nullification. If let's say you have two pieces of, of kosher meat and one piece of non-kosher meat. Okay, same case. We say it becomes nullified. Then another piece of non-kosher meat falls in. Halacha is, it makes a difference. If you noticed, if you noticed that there was an issue, meaning you noticed that a non-kosher piece of meat fell in first, then it's nullified. But if you did not know about this uncertainty until the second piece of meat fell in, even though from the perspective of time, the sequence of events happened, happened at the same time, sorry, happened with the same kind of difference in time, one case it will be nullified and one case it won't. It all depends on whether or not you know. So yes, okay. it has a lot to do with your knowledge. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good way of phrasing it, actually. Okay, so now the first order is that we say it should be kosher. Now we're going to get to the second order and say why it's not kosher. So for the very same reason why we said it's kosher, so now the halacha is as follows. This is in uh, Shochanarch uh, 101. It says, If you have a piece, meaning it's referring to a piece of meat or fish or chicken, that is fit to... Um, so really it's got to fit to kind of honor someone, meaning it's the type of, it's a type of meat or chicken that you would serve this as one piece on a plate at a meal, at a kind of, at a, at a, at a nice dinner. Dina Kibaria, it has the same law as a living creature, as a whole creature, which we're not going to get into. It's not nullified even one to a thousand. Even if it's prohibited to derive benefit from, which is not relevant to our case, it is, it is, it's never going to be, it's never going to be nullified. Now, why is this? The reason behind it is exactly because of the reason what I said, right? Is that the idea behind nullification of, uh, in a majority is because due to the fact that this is now a mixture it becomes homogeneous and, and, it, and it requires its own new identity. But if each piece of meat is unique and special, even if you have a lot of them, but if this is something which you value each individual piece, the, from a uh, rabbinic perspective, you can't look at them as being in a mixture. They don't kind of meld into one thing. It doesn't become a meat salad if you have 10 pieces of meat together. So therefore, in such a case, you would not have nullification in majority. And the Ramah says that this is true even if it only becomes prohibited through a uh, rabbinic prohibition, even if it's, let's say, something which is only uh, rabbinically prohibited. In such a case, it will not work nullification. So this is a reason why in our case, our case, it should be completely forbidden. Why? Because it's either fancy steaks, as said in the story, they are chaticha real and therefore they should not be uh, uh, permissible. Now, in the second law, he says a very interesting caveat to this. He says this is only true, 
So we only say this if let's say you have a pork chop that got mixed into well, it looks different. So let's say you have a non-kosher beefsteak that got confused with a bunch of kosher beefsteaks, right? So this non-kosher beefsteak is non-kosher inherently, meaning to say it is non-kosher because it came from a non-kosher cow. It is its identity. But if let's say you have a kosher piece of meat that came into contact with non-kosher, let's say, it was cooked in a non-kosher pot or some non-kosher fat dripped on it and got absorbed inside of it, in such a case, since the piece itself is not non-kosher, rather it is non-kosher purely because it contains a non-kosher absorption, a non-kosher element. So this does not have this problem of of um, of Meaning to say, the only problem is is when the piece of meat itself is forbidden. But if it's forbidden to eat the meat because it contains something forbidden, even though the piece of meat, it's, oh, you have a kosher piece of meat, some non-kosher fat dripped on it, got absorbed, so now you can't eat this meat because there's non-kosher flavor everywhere. Well, that doesn't change the inherent identity of the meat itself. It just says that you can't eat the meat because it's non-kosher. Because by eating the meat, I'm sorry, you will consume non-kosher. So that is not considered to be this chaticha realist because the non-kosher itself is not something that is valuable or what you would serve at a dinner, right? The kosher part is what's valuable. It happens to contain some non-kosher So the question- Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So I, I think I'm, I'm not quite following you. So sure. you're saying the meat itself is the valuable part whatever drips on it is non-valuable and so what follows from that so therefore in such so we want to say that that if let's say you have a non-kosher rib steak meaning from a non from a cow that wasn't slaughtered properly right so that is something where the in where the where the identity I understand. Of the meat, so that mm -hmm. is so, so that will never be nullified why because right. But if let's say you have a kosher meat and it absorbs something which is not kosher, and then this piece of meat gets mixed up with a whole bunch of pieces of, of kosher meat, that will be nullified. The reason why that will be nullified is because this uh, rabbinical issue of chaticha realis kabit does not apply in the case where what is where the where the non-kosher thing is not a fancy piece of meat, meaning even though it is making you not be able to eat a specific fancy piece of meat, this fancy piece of meat is not inherently non-kosher, right? It's merely so a bit, yeah. someone who they then didn't know about it, they could eat it? So if someone didn't know, no, so, so nobody is, is, is allowed to eat the meat itself. But if the meat got mixed up and you don't know which is which, you could eat all the pieces of meat. Okay, but then what about, I mean, getting back to the situation you described where, mm -hmm. you know, for example, you have something, a kosher piece of meat that gets cooked in an oven that was used to cook something that was trafe. Right. The, whatever the oven is, is imparting upon the meat is yeah. not localizable as, oh, it was here, but not here and so forth. So... Is that, so does that mean, so, mm -hmm, sorry. No, no, no. So, and so in such a case, even though that specific piece of meat will be not kosher, it will not get the stat, I mean to say, 
it will be non-kosher. But if it gets mixed up with two other pieces of meat, then they will all be kosher because of because of nullification. Because okay. we <sighs> Yeah. Because Got it. Whatever, because whatever the meat absorbed, but this is not true for for milk and meat. Now, even though our case is a case of it absorbing milk, this is not true for milk and meat. And the reason why this is not true for milk and meat is because basar bechal of milk and meat has a very, very special quality in the Torah. You have two things that are completely permissible. But by combining them, they become prohibited. So mm-hmm. therefore, they have a very special characteristic. We almost, the way some of the commentaries explain, that we almost look like, the, we, look, we, we look at the mixture of milk and meat as as an activation, not as a forbidden mixture. Meaning mm-hmm. that when milk and meat combines, they activate each other, they kind of flip each other's identities to make them uh, forbidden. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they become inherently prohibited. Therefore, in our case, since she dripped milk on it and the mother grilled it with the milk, it becomes milk and meat. They're mixed up together. Therefore, everything should be prohibited. Now, what happens if the mother did not, she kind of caught the mistake early, meaning that before she grilled it, she found out about the milk. And now here's where we're going to get into a kind of much more difficult situation. There is a principle of what's called kavosh kemavoshal. Kavosh kemavoshal means like this. If you take cold milk and you put it together with meat, cold meat, and you let them sit together for 24 hours, so by that point, there is enough of a degree of saturation and kind of exchange that from a uh, rabbinic uh, perspective, you now have basar b'chalav. The meat is forbidden and the milk is forbidden. It's considered to be enough of a kind of, through this kind of sitting and marinating in the milk, it's enough to kind of cause enough of a change, and that becomes kavosh nevosh. In our case, if she poured the milk out on the meat more than 24 hours earlier, especially because the meat was spiced, and the halacha is that if the meat is spiced, even, so, so, okay, so before that, that's already another problem, before that. Even if the meat was not spiced, if she poured the milk on the meat, it got absorbed, it was there for 24 hours, even if the mother did not grill it, it's already forbidden because of kavosh kemavoshal, because of this notion of marination is a problem, and then it becomes a chaticha realist. Kavit and everything is forbidden in the fridge. Once we hit 24 hours, everything is forbidden. Now, so that means that we should really have no avenue out over here, even if she didn't cook. Now, the so what one, if it's not 24 hours? What if it's, now if it's like the yes, 10, yes. 10 second rule? Perfect. So what if it's not 24 hours? What if it's 10 seconds? What if it's a few hours? This is where life gets very difficult with this question. Because what the mother did was that she spiced the meat. Now, the purpose of spicing the meat, there's an English word for it, right? When it kind of kind of breaks open, breaks apart the meat, right? So that the spices could kind of leak it leach into the middle. You know, yeah, what I know what you mean. What talking about yeah, with the salt. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I forget. It's in, you know. So the point is, is that so the, the spices act on the meat. Since they act on the meat, the halacha is is that according to many opinions, if cold milk falls on meat that's been heavily spiced and has been sitting in, in salt and spice and kind of breaking apart with crevices and ridges 
then it gets absorbed, it can't come out so easily. And therefore, it becomes forbidden to eat. But, but, here we have an interesting distinction. It's not clear in the commentaries uh, if it is forbidden to eat because when you eat it, you will be automatically eating milk and meat together. Meaning, if, let's say you could eat this meat raw without cooking it. Right? You, you're you're going to eat it raw, let's say. So it would be prohibited because it would be like taking, you know, a cup of milk and eating meat and milk at the same time. Or is it like marinating that right now this thing is prohibited? Meaning, when you have the situation that the milk gets absorbed in the thing, right, because of the ridges and cracks, is it a purely pragmatic issue? But the identity of the meat is still kosher, as we're going to see this will make a very big difference later. Or the fact that you, once you can separate the milk from meat, it will automatically make it not kosher, and then it gets the identity of not kosher. Now, this sounds very academic, but it actually makes a tremendous difference later. So that is that, that, that question. Then, but, but if yeah. it were not spiced, but is there a 10-second rule? More than that. You have up to 24 hours. If it wasn't spiced, cold meat in the fridge, you can pour four gallons of milk on it, just take it, wash it in the sink, pat it down, and that's it. Hmm. That's all you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is very common. People are going for, for you know, shopping groceries. They put, you know, milk and, and chicken in the same bag. The milk leak, gets the chicken has a hole in the packaging, whatever it is. Wash it off, you're done. Right? Hmm. That, that's all. Yeah. You don't have to worry about that. If it's like a very, if, if it's cold cuts, like if it's deli or whatever, that's the problem. That's cooked meat. That is much worse that you can't salvage. But if it's, if it's, if it's raw meat, that's not a problem. So here we have now a very interesting question over here. Because first of all, how long was the milk there? So let's say the milk was not there for 24 hours. And let's say that it was not spiced. It was, it was spiced or whatever it is, or it got absorbed, all these different things. Rabbi. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm trying to understand the distinction you mentioned earlier with the spice. So it's like the first scenario, you're eating tray food. And the second scenario, you're eating kosher meat together with kosher milk. Yeah. So you are. So, so here, so that's a very interesting thing. You know, it's a hard kind of distinction to parse exactly. But yeah, meaning you are doing a forbidden action. But you are combining them, meaning... In Basar B'chalov, there's like two aspects to it, right? There's one that there's prohibited to eat milk and meat together, or rabbinical prohibition, right? A cheeseburger, right? Even if they're both cold, to bite them together is a problem. And then there's also something which we'll talk about as an attribute of the item that it is forbidden, and it is forbidden for you to consume a forbidden thing. Awesome. So, so it's interesting, right? Because it has these kind of two, these, these kind of two facets, right? One is, as we'll say in kind of, you know, yeshiva language, right? Is on the gavra, is on the person. And the other is on the chafza, is on the item, right? And there can be kind of two, two kind of aspects to basar b'chal. Now, so now we, we're in this very interesting situation. It seems that all is lost, right? That either, that if it's kavosh, or if she grilled it, it's already prohibited and nullification in the majority doesn't work. Okay? Now, if let's say she did, it wasn't Kavush, 
but the spices, the rub really kind of desiccated it. Is that the right word? Desiccated? Yeah. Well, yeah. no, that's not what you mean, but I'll, I'll try to think of what the right word is. Okay. Whatever. So, 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 but it really kind of broke it apart and now it gets absorbed. So there we have our question. If it's forbidden, then the whole thing is done. If it's permissible, what are you going to do? Right? As soon as you grill them, you're done. And in fact, you are going to potentially be transgressing a prohibition of cooking milk and meat together. Right? You so can't wash really, it out? What? No, because yeah. the idea is, is that if it's, if, if, if it's spiced enough, which doesn't have to be that much, right, it will, it, the milk gets absorbed to the extent that it can't be removed. But it's not necessarily Basar Bechal. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's an interesting, very interesting kind of twilight zone. So now, so what are you going to so what are you going to do with it? It doesn't help you. As soon as you cook it, you're done. You throw one away. Who says you threw away uh, the right one? So very nice. Right now, everything is uh, permitted. But how does it help? So here we have to get into another topic, and this is a topic of what's called called the parish may ruba parish. Now, there is the following principle, right? We talked about the case where you have the eight kosher stores and the one non-kosher store, right? Now, if let's say you find a piece of meat, right? You have a mall where and everyone's serving everything together, everything's being sold in the same place, and you find a piece of meat there, kind of where all the meat, where all the kosher and non-kosher is being sold, right? There is a, you, that, that, that in such a case, even though we say that if you find the meat outside, you can follow the majority of the stores. If you find the meat inside, you can, because it has it has the the status of what's called kavua. Now, I can't explain kavua. What kavua means is is that if the uncertainty is and is in, in the place where the kosher and non-kosher are there, then it gets treated as a 50-50 no matter the ratio. This is derived biblically, whatever it is, but basically, if you are in a store and the store has more kosher meat than non-kosher meat, then you find a piece of meat there that's not labeled. You have to treat it as non-kosher, no matter the ratio, because in this location, which we're deciding on, kosher and non-kosher are here together. It's called kavua. What's fascinating is when I was learning this topic, I don't really understand it at all. It's very difficult. The logic behind it is very hard. It's either a biblical source or not. But uh, Lily, do you remember there used to be a, he won a Nobel Prize for economics and he used to come visit Stony Brook. Oh, Nash? Uh, Alman, Alman? Nash used to visit. No, no, but there was an Orthodox economist from Israel, Robert oh. Alman, who used yeah. to come visit. Mm -hmm. So he, so he right. actually wrote a paper about, I mean, a paper, I should say paper, it's much more. It was an article about Kavua, where he was hmm. trying to use economic theory to try to describe Kavua using moral hazard. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of, I, I, I read it. I, I, I wasn't convinced. It was a fascinating article. And the economics yeah. are very interesting. I was not convinced this was the explanation of, uh, um, um, of uh, Kavua, but it was a definitely a very interesting attempt. By the way, um, the word you were looking for was tenderize. Tenderize. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. Okay. So, 
So that is, so that's so kavua. So therefore, our case has the same problem, right? When she starts taking the meat out of the fridge, right, one by one to put them on the grill, it doesn't help because all the meat was here together. Everything was here together. It's already that's once she knows what's going on, that's not going to help her at all. But there is the following case. In this different part of Shukhanar, the following case like this. <clears throat> Let's say you went to a kosher store. And this, unfortunately, has actually happened practically. You, went, you go to a kosher store, you buy meat. You come home, and then you go to yeshivaworldnews.com or whatever, and you discover, and they discovered in this store, after you bought it, after you left, you came home, before you cooked it, they discovered in this store non-kosher meat in the freezer. So now, when you took it out, you didn't, and this is what, you know, uh, to what uh, you were talking about earlier, uh, uh, Lily, about how knowledge is everything over here, right? Is that when you took it out, you did not know that about the existence of non-kosher at all. So when you were parish, when you removed it from that area, you mm-hmm. are allowed to assume that you took from the majority that were kosher. And the prohibition was only discovered after it was only discovered after after uh, it was already parched. Halacha is it's in Simon Kofiut six. The halacha is right here. You <coughs> you are allowed to eat it because you took it before you knew. So what happens by us? The mother is taking steaks out of the fridge one by one. We're even taking out the platter. She's putting them on the grill one by one, right? She's, you know, she's taking them, she's separating them. They're getting completely dispersed from their original arrangement. And she's doing it before, if she grilled them already, she's doing it before she knows there's any problem. So each time she takes a steak out of this mixture, it's like you find the meat from the store before the prohibited, before the prohibited item was found. And the halacha is that even by a case where you have this chaticha, when we're going with called the parish, and here's where it's very confusing, is that there are two types of majority. One majority, one rive, is when it talks about nullification. And nullification follows the process we talked about, where we're establishing a new identity for a mixture, and from the rabbinic perspective, that does not make sense for a case where each one has its own kind of distinct, you know, people kind of don't put them together in a mush. But there is another principle of majority. And that says, when you have a mixture in location A, and one element leaves A and goes to B, which, from which kind of proportion did this element leave? And this has nothing to do with nullification. This has to do with, there, there are different sources for this, whatever it is, called the parish, that you can say came, it came from the majority. It works with a different principle, and for that there is no issue of chaticha uh, So since she was taking them out and putting them on the grill, so this is a reason why that should be okay. But now we get back into our big problem. This is a very creative solution. They would love me for this. Everything would be amazing. I solved the problem. They're, they're kosher. If she grilled them already, they're kosher. 
even if she didn't grill them, if they were kavush, or even if they were not kavush, but even if it was not 24 hours, but the milk mixing with the meat makes them prohibited, I think I would have solved the case. It would be okay because of this interesting idea. But if the milk and meat are together, but they're not yet prohibited, and she realized before she grilled them, then she stuck. The reason is, is because all these laws, nullification, everything, according to most opinions, only apply when you have a forbidden thing and a permissible thing. But if you have two permissible things mixed together, their whole idea of nullification majority doesn't make sense because there's nothing to resolve over here. They have the same identity. They're both permissible. There's no, there's no mixture of identities. There's no two identities. Everything is the same. They're all permissible. So hatter behatter, according to many opinions, nullification does not apply. So, so now, basically, you're, if you say it's permissible, you're messed up <clears throat> because you have nothing to do now. Because you take them out, now, and now she finds out that there's milk here. So what could she do? Each one she picks up now. So now she knows that there's potential to make something forbidden. So what could she do? So over here, right now, there is no kavash kimavashol. There's no kavash. So therefore, there, there's, there's nothing prohibited. Each one that she grills, there's a possibility that what she's doing is a, pro, is a biblical prohibition. She's cooking milk and meat together. This sounds like a game theory problem. Yeah, yeah, this is like I'm telling you. I was sitting here like, I said, like, you know, when I made this case, I kind of thought like, yeah, I want to talk about Chatecha, Ruiz, Kabbat, and Kavash, whatever. Then I looked at the case, I'm trying to think of the simple answer, and then I realized like, wait a minute, why won't this apply? Then this, and then like, what do you do? So basically, if she has no way of ascertaining which is which, and if you follow the opinion that two permissible things, that, so now there is some debate about this. There are some people who say that with milk and meat or with other situations, uh, permissible things could be nullified. And one of the very, very, very important examples of this is soy milk or certain types of chocolate, right? So soy milk, you look, some soy milks actually write on them in their allergy ingredients, they have some traces of milk there regular milk. At least they, they used to, or some of them had. So there's a question, could you use the soy milk with, with meat? Now, the traces of milk are far less than one to 60. But if you say you can't nullify permissible with uh, permissible, so milk and soy milk is not a problem, so it can't be nullified, so you shouldn't be able to eat it with meat. But they say that with milk and meat is different because you, there is the idea that you have to be able to taste it. It has to be able to be noticeable in the mixture in order for it to be considered milk. Meaning, to say that there's milk here, you actually have to be able to taste it. But that whole debate doesn't really apply in our case at all. So therefore, in our case, according to many opinions, most opinions, I would say, by hatter behatter, by two permitted things that are mixed together, there's no way to, to nullify them. Since there's no way to nullify them, so then with each, and so majority is not going to help you. Nullification of majority is not going to help you. 
And then you can't grill any one of them because on each one there's a possibility that you're transgressing a biblical prohibition. So I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't see a way out. But I'm not so, confident that I'm right I mean, in one of these things. So I mean, I guess I'm wondering, uh, maybe this is completely off, but remember we were talking a while back about Nash equilibria. Yeah. You know, it, it could be that there's something that is not right in each individual case, but turns out to be the best solution when you consider all cases. So is, that, is there a Nash equilibria that, that we can find even if for a single piece of meat, we don't know what to do? So I was, I was, th I was thinking about that. And I was looking at the sources and there are people who were talking about maybe grilling. So no one addresses this question. But there were cases about maybe, maybe grilling three at a time. Right. This way, when you put them on the grill, you for sure, there's for sure, a but the problem is that Hatikha really scabbing messes you up. Because as soon as, because what, if you're putting, to say, if your action is transgressing, meaning until there's something prohibited here, right? It's kind of a catch-22 problem, right? Is that until it's prohibited, it can't be nullified, but because it can't be nullified, it's gonna be prohibited, <laughs> right? So we're kind of stuck in this, in, the, in this kind of bizarre state where because it's permissible, it's forbidden to do it, but if we can somehow make it forbidden, then it would be permissible to do. So, <laughs> but there's no way to make it uh, forbidden in any permissible way. Because once you know about it, you have the problem of buying, you know, of Kavua uh, and of Bitl, all these issues. So therefore, so the reason why I'm not kind of deciding this halacha at all over here is because I have the following three uncertainties. Number one, what is the status of this meat that's fully laden with milk but wasn't cooked together or sat together for 24 hours. Is it non-kosher or is it kosher? Just you can't eat it because you're going to be eating milk and meat together. That's uncertainty number one. Uncertainty number two is that it, is my permissible reasoning even true? That this is considered by her taking the steaks from the fridge and separating them and grilling them separately. Does this, is this similar to the case of the store? I would think it is. I think it should be, but over there you took one piece from a majority. Over here you're taking one at a time, but at the end of the day you're grilling all of them. Mm -hmm. So do we look at each action? Usually we do. Usually we look at each action you do. Is this, is this kosher? Yeah. Is this kosher? Yeah. Is this kosher? Yeah. Is this kosher? Yeah. You get to the last one, right? So you, sorry, right? you get to the last two, you took them out, so maybe, you know, over there, you can't say called the parish, but you may have already taken out the non-kosher one earlier. So then the question, and then you move them, so then it could be that the rive is over there and these guys are considered to be separate. So I'm saying, you know, so that, I, that requires, I, I would have to spend like a week on, on that issue alone to really try to get to the bottom. This is one of the hardest topics in halacha, is these laws of uncertainty. Um, but so I'm not convinced that I'm right about that. But theoretically speaking, you know, so that's my third uncertainty. So all these different uncertainties make me feel like I can't pass in this question. I told my, my, my younger brother, there's a very, very big Pisic in Chicago, Rabbi First. So I told my brother to go. I said, don't show him the story. I don't want him to think that your brother's a kook, but at least ask him, ask him the question. 
and see what he says. So my brother is supposed to get back to me, so I'll let you know what he says. But to me, this was was a fascinating question because it started off simple and then it got bad fast. So, so you know, I don't know the answer, but at least, you know, I think it was interesting. It was, it was an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, I have a couple questions yeah. if, if you are done, but I don't no, no, want I'm to done, interrupt you. Okay. So first question, how is your brother? I haven't seen him in a while. I heard he had COVID. Oh, so my brother, thank God, he's doing, he's 100% recovered. He's doing, 